Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing to roll on through our Top 10 Prospects podcast series. We're breaking down the Houston Astros today, and to do that, we are joined by Chandler Rome, the Astros beat writer for the Houston Chronicle and the Astros correspondent for us here at BA. Chandler, I have to ask, this was your first year taking care of the Prospect Handbook chapter for us for the Astros. How was it? It was very daunting. Um, it did not help that the Astros got to game six of the World Series and really cut into any time I had to want to flesh it out and really dig deep and write. You know, it was the World Series ended. I was at the GM meetings and the, a week later, and then it was like, oh, crap, chapters do. So um, a little rushed, but um, I think it turned out all right. I hope you guys think it turned out all right. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, I can relate. I was in the same boat as you being at the World Series with you and the GM meetings and having uh, the Mariners and Dodgers to do in the West. So I feel your pain, but uh, we got it done and, and all in all, it turned out well. With that, I mean, we do have to start there. The Astros made their third World Series in five years. That was despite losing George Springer in free agency, not having Justin Verlander after he had Tommy John surgery and Zach Granke really being ineffective down the stretch and then not really being a part of their postseason rotation. I think before the season, if I had told you in those three things, no Springer, no Verlander, and not really having the best version of Zach Greinke, it would have seemed improbable that this would have been a team in the World Series. Uh, but, but here they were. When you kind of look at where they are now, especially with the possibility of losing another big free agent this offseason, Carlos Correa, where is this organization in terms of the big league club, who they have in the farm system, and what the immediate outlook is? Well, the immediate outlook for the big league club is, you know, their window is still open. Um, and it's, uh, it's not, I wouldn't say it's narrowing by any stretch, but I think if um, what we believe with, is going to happen with Carlos Correa happens and that he does leave and, and go somewhere else, you know, that can't help but narrow it a little bit. Um, but you do have Jose Altuve, you do have um, Alex Bregman, who they have got to get right. He was obviously compromised in the World Series, had surgery this offseason. He's really not been the same player since he was the MVP runner-up in 2019. Um, they've really got to get him right. But then, you know, you look at their young core of kind of what's coming up. Jordan Alvarez had just – his first full season in the big leagues was kind of everything you expected it to be. And then Kyle Tucker transformed into, you know, one of the best players in baseball that nobody's talking about. And I know they don't – I know they don't give awards – um, based on, you know, cut a month out. But if you cut April and a little bit of May out of Kyle Tucker's season, he was the second or third best player in baseball last year. And he, he, if they can keep that going, especially with the core we just talked about, you know, the, the position player side, it's pretty bright. And then I think you have to be encouraged with what you saw from the pitching last year, given everything you just said. They didn't have Verlander. Grinky really regressed and maybe showed that he's at the end of his road career-wise. But they got a, a they had another 
young Latin pitcher finish uh, in top three in American League Rookie of the Year voting in Luis Garcia was really a revolution. Blew past any sort of um, innings limit that the Astros were going to put on him and never really um, looked poor really until game six of the World Series when Jorge Soler hit a ball off of him that's probably still going. But other than that, other than that, you know, Garcia pitched well. You know, Jose Urquidy continued to kind of make his transformation. Then you saw Framber Valdez. It's really been the, revel- the revelatory pitcher in this farm system, a guy that, you know, in 2018, 2019, they were really thinking, you know, is this guy even going to make it? You know, they were sticking him in the bullpen because they needed a lefty, but, you know, could never locate anything. He was immature um, mentally as well, but, you know, he wor- it's been really talked about now. He got to the DR after the 2019 season, really worked with a sports psychologist to really kind of center his mind a little bit. And um, he's able to kind of calm himself down and not speed himself up. And the results are, are remarkable. I mean, he, 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 he was inconsistent in the postseason, which again, that was kind of befell all their pitchers. But um, if they get that little core of starting pitching, you know, they're, they're going to go into 2022 with a surplus. And that's even if Lance McCullers Jr. has to miss some time with the forearm strain. But, um, you know, this this is not a team that's going to just – they're going to lose Carlos Correa and take a complete step back. I mean, they don't play in the in the most menacing division in baseball. Obviously, the Mariners are on the come up. Uh, I'll believe the Angels are good when they actually do it. And then the other two teams in there aren't really trying. So, I, I think, you know, certainly they're the favorites in the American League West. And with a lineup like that, um, if they're clicking and if they can get Bregman going again, you know, I, I think there's certainly candidates again to reach the ALCS for a six straight year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is you look at how this team was initially built, kind of that 2017 World Championship team, and even moving into the 2019 AL Championship team. It was a lot of guys who were high draft picks and top prospects. Obviously, Jose Altuve is one of the all-time great finds. But you look at Alex Bregman, George Springer, Carlos Correa, Lance McCullers, all first-round picks. Yuli Gurriel is one of the best hitters in Cuban baseball history, signed to a big contract. And, of course, guys like Verlander, Garrett Cole, Zach Granke, aces who were traded for Brian McCann, Josh Reddick, Michael Brantley, all established standouts. What's been really kind of fascinating to me is as a lot of those guys, particularly on the pitching side and some of those older position players have aged out or moved on, they've really reinforced it with a lot of guys who are much lower tier types in terms of both the draft and prospects. Again, obviously Kyle Tucker was a first round pick and he blew up in a big way last year. But Jordan Alvarez was not a big-time international signee with the Dodgers. The Astros got him for Josh Fields. He exploded. And you mentioned those pitchers, Christian Javier, Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy. I wrote about it before the World Series last year. All of them signed for less than $100,000. None of them were top international signees. And we even saw guys like Jake Myers and Chaz McCormick, who were not big-time prospects or draftees, come up and be nice contributors in the big leagues for them. I feel like the Astros kind of started this with stars, and now they're extending it with really developing under-the-radar types. And it's really kind of brightened their outlook and extended their window. It's a testament to their player development system, one that Pete Patella, who's still with the organization as the assistant general manager, really pioneered. And, and it's a testament to him and his staff. You mentioned that that core of international guys that all signed under $100,000. A lot of the credit for that goes to Ozzo Campo, who was the uh, their head of international scouting before he departed for the Pirates a couple of years ago. Um, you know, it, it, it certainly is – 
wonderful to it's, it's it's a wonder that they've been able to do it because like you mentioned not only have they as they got good their draft pick obviously fell in the draft but then you get into the sign ceiling scandal and they haven't had a first or a second round pick since 2019 and yet they're still finding gems they're still finding guys like Chaz McCormick who went to um, you know a small d3 school they're finding Jake Myers who um, you know, even you can stretch far back, you know, he didn't contribute much this year, but Josh James, a 39th round pick, Miles Straw, who they ended up flipping for Phil Maton at the deadline, you know, he, he was another player development find. Um, you know, you do wonder, though, kind of how, how that, how long they can continue with that. You know, there's only so many diamonds in the rough you can find. And at some point, they're going to need, you know, Altuve, age comes for everybody, you know, Yuli Gurriel is going to stop hitting at some point. You know, Jose Altuve is getting up there. You know, you've seen Alex Bregman. Um, you know, we talked about how compromised he's been. I'm not saying he's on a decline or anything, but, I mean, you have to prepare for things like that. They are going to need some top-flight talent. They're going to need some of those superstar prospects, a la Kyle Tucker, a la Jordan Alvarez when he really skyrocketed. They're going to need those sort of prospects in their system to help fill. But for now, they've done a very, very good job drafting, developing, and on the international market, finding guys that, quite frankly, other teams either overlook or discard. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the prospect crop as it stands right now, it kind of fits perfectly. If you look at this Astros lineup and, and pitching rotation right now, you'd say, what are the two spots they need guys the most? Catcher and assuming Carlos Correa leaves shortstop. And it works out pretty nicely. Their top two prospects, wouldn't you know it, are a catcher and a shortstop. Corey Lee, their first-round pick back in 2019, is their number one overall prospect. And Jeremy Payne, a third-round pick out of Maine in 2018, is their second overall prospect. How close was it with these two in terms of being number one? They're both on the BA Top 100. They're separated by only a couple of spots. Take us through that process of who was one, who was two, and ultimately what made you settle on Corey Lee? It, it was it was difficult, and you know I think it really came down to the fact that, that Corey Lee just played more last year. You had more kind of sample size with him, um, you know. Obviously, and that's no fault of Jeremy Pena's. He he fractured his wrist diving for a ground ball and missed a ton of time. He got back and was able to go to to AAA in September for their playoff run and just absolutely exploded. The the power the power numbers were big, um, but but again. It was such a small sample size that you didn't really know, you know, is this for real? You know, I talked to scouts. I talked to evaluators that really, really liked him. And, you know, they've liked him for a while with his makeup, obviously, being the son of Geronimo Pena. He kind of grew up in this game. You know, if you talk to him, you can kind of tell. He, it's, it's interesting with sons of former big leaguers, you know, relatives of former big leaguers. You don't even have to know maybe. But when you talk to these guys, you can just tell who they are. Pena, you can just tell the minute you start talking to him. And he's one of those guys, and scouts have raved about his makeup. Obviously, coming out of Maine, he was mainly more lauded. I didn't mean to use that pun there. He Coming out of Maine, he was primarily lauded for his defense, but he's really filled out uh, muscle-wise, really put a lot of good weight on. You know, the, the power has come with that. But, you know, for me, uh, I, I thought Corey Lee, the body of work was bigger. You saw him ascend three levels. They started him at High A Asheville. Um, last season got up to double A and really performed well. And then he went up to triple A along with Corey, uh, with Jeremy Pena for that playoff run. So for me, it just honestly came down to Corey Lee played a little bit more. He played well. Scouts liked everything about him and thought, you know, he, I thought that to me was the nudge, but it was very close. I, I was, 
I, I debated a couple of times putting Pena number one, but I felt confident in my decision. And obviously it bore out maybe in the BA rankings that, and like you mentioned, they were only separated by a couple of, of rankings in the top 100. That it, it was a close call, but I think Lee's just overall sample size. Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. And again, these are two really, really talented prospects. And, you know, sometimes we have certain systems where a guy is number one and it would be a shock if anyone has a better career than he does in that system. I feel like it's safe to say that if Jeremy Pena ends up having a better career than Corey Lee, we can all look back and say, yeah, it's totally reasonable. These are two really, really good prospects who are very, very close. Chandler, you mentioned that the Astros are going to need some of these guys to become bona fide stars. What is the overall potential for Corey Lee and Jeremy Pena as it's seen now? Is it more of the average to above average regular, or is there star potential with either of these two? I don't. I, people I talk to, uh, you know, rival executives, rival scouts that, that watch these guys and follow them, I, I don't think I've heard star for either of them. You know, I think we'll get a pretty much a better idea about Jeremy Pena immediately than we will Corey Lee just because – the way the major league team's set up right now, Martin Maldonado and Jason Castro are back next year, or, or this year, excuse me, to catch for the Astros. So it, it doesn't seem like we'll get a, a real good extended look at Corey Lee, um, unless he forces the Astros' hand in 2022 just because of kind of that catching situation. But as it stands now, you know, Jeremy Pena um, could be the favorite to be the opening day shortstop for this team. That's how much the Astros – believe in him that's how much they like him um that is if carlos correa doesn't come back and that's trending toward something that's going to happen you know i think we'll have a better feel on pena this year than we will lee but um i you know with pena the overall thing is they, they do wonder if the overall hit tool is there um you know they, they, they saw the power come up in in triple a and they wonder if that's going to translate to the big leagues if he's going to be able to hit enough they're, they're confident in the defense, obviously. The makeup is great, but um, it'll be interesting to see. But I think we'll get an immediate answer on Pena before we do leave. The third prospect on this list was someone that was on the fringes of the top 100. He ended up finishing just off of it, uh, but that's Hunter Brown. And, uh, you know, for years, really, since he came out of Wayne State, the reviews have been pretty consistent. It's 70-grade stuff with 30-grade command. That said, he got to AAA last year, really showed you some flashes, actually backed off the stuff a little bit and showed the ability to, to pitch as opposed to just trying to blow it by guys. And there were some good things. There were some things that, you know, were clearly areas to work on. What is kind of the outlook for Hunter Brown right now? And, and where do the Astros see his future moving forward? He's certainly their, their best and if you want to say closest starting pitching prospect that they have in the system, you know, Coming out of Wayne State, growing up in Detroit, this is a guy that idolized Justin Verlander. And I'm not trying to put a Verlander comp on him because I don't think they're the same guy. But, I mean, you kind of look at some of the stuff. He, he's got the fastball that rides a little bit. He's got two good breaking balls. You, you know, the thing that did scare scouts a little bit was just how inconsistent he was. And it wasn't even start to start. It was inning to inning and batter to batter. There would be – I'd have scouts tell me that there were – there, there were that there were times where he would look untouchable for like six straight batters and then fall apart for the next knock. You know, just they couldn't rattle himself. The mound presence maybe wasn't there yet. And again, this is a young guy, you know, that got up to AAA. Um, they let him get his feet wet, let him feel himself out a little bit. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing with him. You know, he's going to have to be able to 
harness his command, repeat his delivery a little bit better, um, and be able to, you know, really kind of center himself and find the consistency that eluded him for so long. Obviously, the the curveball and the four seam are his two kind of major league ready, you know, plus plus pitches. Those are the two pitches that everyone talks about. And, you know, certainly when you've got two pitches like that, um, the bullpen question does come into play. You know, he does, he's got the big velocity and it is stuff that would play up out of the bullpen. The Astros are dead set and do believe he is a starting pitcher, but who knows, you know, if he's a triple A next year out uh, performing well and, there's a spot in the bullpen in August and September. You know, we've seen that. You know, we saw it with Luis Garcia in 2020. Granted, it was a completely different situation with the pandemic season and Astros pitchers, you know, falling like flies to injury. We saw Luis Garcia come up and come out of the bullpen and pitch well. And he transitioned to a starter in 2021, and we saw how that went. So, you know, could they experiment with him in the bullpen maybe to get his feet wet in the big leagues? I could see that. But he certainly got the pitch mix. He's got the demeanor and he's got the stuff to stick as a starter. And I think the Astros want that. Yeah, the word frustrating came up a lot from opposing scouts. Uh, They mentioned there would be times you see 97 with great playing, that plus breaking ball, and then you just completely lose his command and it's back to the bullpen. And I think there's no question the consistency is, is really the big thing to watch with him. I will say one of the things that was intriguing, and you mentioned it, that he'd dominate for six batters and then he'd run into trouble, is he showed some ability to make pitches in big spots, just a little bit of that mental toughness. And we saw that even with some high walk totals, he was actually able to keep runs off the board at double A AA and triple A. And I do think there's a little something there just in terms of the ability to make pitches in big spots, even if you're kind of in a tough spot because you, you put yourself there. Yeah, and uh, I remember talking to Jason Castro at some point during the season. He had gone to Sugarland on a rehab assignment. He actually caught Hunter Brown. He was down there and caught him, and I think that was kind of by design. The Astros wanted that to happen just so Castro could get some eyes on him and kind of get his feedback to the organization. And I remember talking to him, and, you know, he essentially kind of just said what you said. Like, yeah, it was a lot of kind of erraticism sometimes. But when he, he said when he settles down and when he bears down, he needs to make a big pitch. He did and was able to do that. And Castro was very high kind of on his potential and what he could be. But this is, uh, I, again, I don't think Hunter Brown is anywhere near a finished product. I, I think you could see him have another close to a full season in AAA and, and maybe, you know, become closer to that because he's got to be like bearing down and making pitches in AAA is one thing. Obviously, when you've got, you know, 2,000 people in the ballpark, nothing really going on. But when you get up to the big leagues and there's division stakes and there's three and there's three decks in ballparks all screaming at you, especially if you're wearing an Astros uniform, especially if you're on the road, you're going to be getting screamed at. Um, There's kind of a difference in doing that. And, you know, if he's able to kind of settle himself and find himself mentally in AAA, I, I think he's certainly someone that could. Not that, he's, not that he's not on anybody's radar already, but I think he could certainly skyrocket up some radars in 2022. In terms of these top three guys, these are all guys we've talked about with a lot of potential, Lee, Pena, Brown. Once you get to number four on this list, that's when the questions really start. And Pedro Leone was a big-time Cuban signee, went out last year to A, and really it was not a great season, finished up in the fall league. And again, it was not an overwhelming performance by any stretch what realistically do the Astros have here? Because the reviews and the performance were both, frankly, kind of on the low end in Leon's first year stateside. 
Yeah, the the Astros are obviously far higher on him than maybe the rest of the industry. You know, I got I got everything from rival executives and and working on the chapter. I got everything from, you know, he's kind of a Ledmus Diaz esque, can be a bench back, can be a utility guy. I got everything from he's a fourth infielder, a bench back, guys like, and then that doesn't kind of translate to what the Astros think. I mean, he's a they gave him a four million dollar signing bonus. They touted him as, you know, a fast riser. They thought he could stick in center field. And, you know, I, I think we'll get to this a little bit later, but, you know, he gets into the organization, they immediately try to move in positions. They're trying to, you know, get, get him as versatile as possible, trying to stick him at shortstop where he's barely played. Um, it just wasn't a good year for him performance-wise, you know. And the only reason, quite frankly, he's as high as he is on the Astros lit on this top ten because the Astros, they didn't really have much to choose from after this top three. This is a very top – this is not a very deep system at all. The top three kind of write themselves. And then after that, you know, everyone else is just kind of in a, a potpourri of kind of, you know, mediocre to okay guys. And, you know, just the only reason he's up as high as he is is because of how the Astros hyped him up and the kind of bonus that they gave him, you know. And now I do think it is worth noting that, you know, this is a this is a guy that defected from Cuba. That it's his first season stateside. Um, you talk to scouts, and they do say that that Cuban players, when they come here, they do have trouble often catching up to velocity, which you know Leon did at Double A. But you know, you did see there were flashes at Double A, especially at, he started the season. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the start to his Double A season was like his OPS was in the four hundreds for about four or five weeks, and then. You know, kind of quietly, he turned it on and, and really was on a tear there for a little bit before he fractured his pinky and had to miss some time. Um, but they thought he found something there at the end, and maybe that was just him adjusting to being stateside, adjusting to, you know, the kind of the different way of life in America, the different way of life in minor league baseball and kind of how to play, how to warm up, how to get a routine, things like that. And that shouldn't be discounted, that there was a lot placed on this kid. Obviously, when you come up and have a $4 million signing bonus and then, you know, scouts I talked to, too, they, they would automatically, when they looked out at the field, they would say, that's the guy. He's not a physically imposing guy by any stretch of the imagination. He's, he's short of stature. He's not, particularly, um, he's not particularly built. I mean, he's not a skinny guy by any stretch of the imagination, but he just doesn't look like maybe what you think a touted $4 million prospect should look like. So. Um, I think it was it unfair. No, because he didn't perform. He didn't show well. Um, but I do think it'll be interesting to follow him in 2022. Now that he's had a full season, he lived in the off season in West Palm and around West Palm Beach. Was able to get to the was able to get to the facility and really put some work in. They're working on, like I said, at both shortstop and center field. Um, you know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he does flash a little bit. And if he does maybe give scouts and rival teams like a better view of who he is in 2022. But still, the overriding theme I got was that this was not an everyday player. Scouts did not project him as an everyday type of player in 2021. And that's certainly what the Astros thought they were getting. They thought they were getting someone that could be an everyday player. 
as you mentioned, a lot of times the Cuban guys, it takes a year to adjust. You add in a, a little bit of position switch in there. Definitely made the learning curve steeper. And, and 2022 will be very, very revealing for who Pedro Leon maybe really is, because as you mentioned, the 2021 version, uh, both in my looks and opposing scouts looks, it just was was not exceptional by any means. All right, Chandler, I, I want to get into the back half of the system. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back with Chandler Rome breaking down the Houston Astros farm system. All right, Chandler, before we went to break, you mentioned that this is not a very deep system. You feel pretty good about the top two guys, both top 100 prospects. Number three, Hunter Brown is just off the top 100. And Pedro Leon, it was difficult. But as you mentioned, there are reasons to give him a mulligan. After this, uh, there's just not a lot of depth here. How did you kind of sort out this five to 10 group? How many guys were you know clear cut in here and how many other guys were maybe on the fence and, and a debate to be in the top 10? So there, there, there's a little bit of, there's a lot. Um, you know, you look at guys that just straight performed last year and that was Joe Perez, a guy that, you know, former second round pick, obviously came with a lot of pedigree, had Tommy John and then had, you know, some injuries that kind of limited him, but he really just – he broke out and performed in, in 2021 and really put himself on the Astros' radar. At, certainly at a, at a position, too, at one at either corner that, you know, could be a place where the Astros need help uh, soon, sooner rather than later. You know, obviously they've got Bregman at, at third, but, you know, you wonder how much longer Yuli Gurriel can keep going. You wonder if Joe Perez could maybe be a guy there that they experiment with, add some first base, um, you know, guy like Tyler Ivey had a had a different kind of journey, you know, made his big league debut last year as a starter, um, but hit an elbow injury from the Astros in order to do so. Um, pitched well enough, you know, the Astros liked what he was doing, even with the elbow injury, ended up having thoracic outlet. Um, Will looks like he's on track to pitch um, in 2022, is on the 40-man roster, is certainly an option for them, and they liked him well enough to put him on the 40-man roster, but Again, in other in other systems, you know, that's a guy that's maybe in the mid-teens, and this system is just not deep enough um, to to put him down there. And then you look at a guy like a couple of their recent draftees, Tyler Whitaker at nine, Alex Santos at six. 
you know, neither of them have played a ton of professional ball, but just the tools are, are high. You know, they, they scouts like the upside scouts, like kind of what they could be, but the performance isn't there. So there was a lot of balancing act going on. You know, how much credence do you give to minor league performance? How much credence do you give to draft position? How much credence do you give to kind of raw upside? And there's a lot of mix there. There's a lot of variance and, like I'll just kind of keep harping on, you know, I think, and Kyle, you may agree, like you could have put after the top three, you could have really ranked maybe the rest of the top 10 in any order. And I don't think anyone could have really quibbled with it because they're all just kind of the same. Yeah. I mean, we have a mix of high variance guys and some other guys who maybe the ceiling isn't sexy, but you know, if they make the big leagues, that's, that's a success. I want to hone in on Tyler Whitaker here for a minute. Uh, as you discussed, the Astros have not had a first or second round pick each of the last two drafts. So Whitaker was their top pick in the 2021 draft, third rounder out of Bishop Gorman High School, a powerhouse program in Las Vegas. And coming into the draft, the the book on him was big tools, big power, speed, good athlete, but a lot of questions about how much contact he would make went out after he signed in rookie ball and struck out 40 times in 114 plate appearances and hit 202. What is kind of the outlook on Tyler Whitaker? Again, you never want to go too crazy in either direction off of complex league performance, but just given contact was the concern and that was the initial showing, what's his outlook moving forward? Yeah. Like you said, you know, you don't want to overreact to 114 plate appearances, especially in complex league. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that certainly can't be encouraging. But, um, you know, look, he's young, high school draftee. They're, they're, they're not going to panic. But, you know, they're also looking for ways to maybe improve the swing a little bit. They're looking for ways to – he's more, he's been – he was at the uh, minor league mini camp that the Astros put on um, before minor league spring training, and they had him working with a lot of the, the hitting coordinators and the hitting coaches to – to, you know, maybe start some development there. And I think we'll get a, a better look at him maybe when he gets to affiliated ball, when he gets out to affiliated ball in 2022. But, you know, these are the kind of guys that, that they've got to make sure to, if they want this system to kind of survive this scandal kind of, this, this scandal era, if you will, when they haven't had a first or second round pick in two years, they're going to need guys like Whitaker, Alex Santos. They're going to need those guys to really um, hit and become, you know, legitimate prospects to be able to keep the system afloat and, and Whitaker is certainly one that they're gonna have to hope for. One other thing with Whitaker is he was drafted as an outfielder. He was primarily an outfielder, but he did get some time at third base in the Florida Complex League. The Astros have given him some more run in the infield. And again, we saw them do something similar with Pedro Leon. What's kind of behind the organizational philosophy here? I feel like you see a lot of guys who are infielders maybe going to the outfield, but you don't see a whole lot of outfielders being transitioned to the infield. Yeah, I actually wrote about this uh, for the Chronicle um, a couple uh, last week. You know, it's a very odd thing to do. I don't want to say odd because you know a lot of teams cross train. Uh, I do think the fa- I do think Astros fans maybe focus on the on them because they've done it now with two really touted guys. You know, their highest draft pick in twenty twenty one, and, and Whitaker, and then Pedro Leone, the guy that they gave four million dollars to and claimed was a fast riser and one of the best uh, center fielders in the organization. Um, Tyler Whitaker told me that at minor league minicamp, he spent 60% of his time in the infield. Um, They ran a situational scrimmage uh, the first day I was at minicamp, and the left side of their infield was Tyler Whitaker at third base and Pedro Leone at shortstop. And I'll get – look, the the looks I've seen at Whitaker, 
Um, I'm not going to say he's polished. I'm not going to say he's even good in the infield, but he's made some athletic plays. You know, he, he dove to his right. I'm thinking of one play where Corey Lee hit a ball in the hole, dove to his right, backhand on a slide, and came up, made a strong throw across the diamond. So the Astros, what, they, what they've told me and kind of their organizational philosophy is they look for guys when they're young. They want to do it with younger guys. Um, obviously, Leon really doesn't fit in that system just because he, he did sign a little bit older, but they, they prefer young guys that are just tooled out and have a lot of athleticism and that are already considered elite defenders in the outfield because they don't want to run the risk of putting them in the infield so much that they forget how to play out. So they, they do focus on guys that they're comfortable if they, you know, are not as much in the outfield as normal that they won't forget how to play the position. Um, this dates back even before the Leon experiment. Now, they did this with Miles Straw in 2019. They started hitting him some ground balls in, in spring training at second base at shortstop two. And then sure enough, they get to the season. Carlos Correa gets hurt. Jose Altuve's out for a little bit. Miles Straw starts 24 games at shortstop for the Astros in 2019, a team that was probably the best Astros team in franchise history. Obviously, came up short of the World Series, but, um, you know, he was able to start 24 games up there. And one thing, you know, Jason Bell, their minor league coordinator, told me, said, a lot of people don't remember, Miles Straw got called up in 2019 before either Jordan Alvarez or Kyle Tucker. Now, Alvarez was obviously some service time manipulation involved in there, but the point overall remains that they want as much versatility as possible, and they, the Astros, maybe more than any other organization, really value roster flexibility and roster spots. You know, they, they, they're very careful not to play their guys, especially with kind of an aging infield core. They're, they're very careful, you know, if Yuli Gurriel reports to the ballpark and he's kind of, kind of sore a little bit, they're not going to play him. Same thing with Altuve, who's getting up there in age. And it's not necessarily IL stints. It's just that they need a couple days off their feet. And they don't want to be, you know, taxiing guys up and down and having risking losing guys off the 40-man, risking losing guys off the 26-man just to have a fill-in for a couple of days. So they're trying to cross-train some of these guys, make them as flexible as possible to put on the roster. And, you know, Jason Bell actually told an interesting story. He said it really re what really reinforced his thinking was – kind of what they didn't do with Taylor Jones, who was on the Astros 40-man now, kind of blocked, can't really play. Uh, he's, first, he's a big guy, first baseman really by trade, but they didn't experiment with him a ton at third base or in left field until he got up to AAA. And then by that time, he was older, kind of just took him time to learn the position, and now he's kind of in 40-man limbo. I mean, he's been up to the big leagues, done a couple cameos here and there, but just hasn't been able to find that consistent playing time. And Jason Bell, you know, he, he, he says he wonders a lot, what if he'd have started the experiment with Taylor Jones at third base and left field and in the infield and, uh, when, he was at, when he was in low A in 2017? Maybe that, there's a different feel. You know, the Astros for so long had Marvin Gonzalez on their roster, who was kind of the answer to all of this. He could play six positions competently, and they didn't have to worry about it. Well, Marvin Gonzalez's don't grow on trees. They tried to make Aledmus Diaz a new utility man, and he gets hurt too much, and he's not a great defender um, really at any position other than shortstop. So they need kind of more versatility. They need more utility guys. And quite frankly, you know, they, they, the way they sell it to these young prospects is, you know, 
if you want to get on the roster, if you want to get in the big leagues, if you want to get your feet wet in the big leagues, you've got to equate yourself defensively first. You've got to be as versatile as possible because that's going to be the way you get on this roster, especially with a major league club right now that's as entrenched and that's as veteran as the Ashers. There's not, there's just not much roster turnover. And the, and these prospects are going to have to distinguish themselves in a variety of ways. And in this instance, it comes in playing a variety of positions. Chandler, one player who was not on this top 10 list, even given the lack of depth, was Forrest Whitley. One point, the top right-handed pitching prospect in all of baseball entering the 2019 season. That 2019 season went horribly, had an ERA up near eight. Then during the shutdown in 2020, battled a couple different injuries. And in 2021, had Tommy John surgery. Uh, It's just been a really bad run here the last three years. What is the latest on Forrest Whitley and, and how do you kind of assess him as a prospect right now? Uh, he's an enigma, um, truly. And, and the thing with Forrest Whitley that always has jumped out the last three or four years, and I feel like I say this all the time when I talk about him, it, he always seemed to be changing something. Every time we would see him, whether he would, it would be in spring training, whether it was at summer camp before the pandemic season, he would always – He's always have changed something, whether it was his delivery, whether it was his weight, whether it was his how much he was working out in the offseason, whether it was where he was working out in the offseason, whether it was where he lived in the offseason. Like, he always seemed to be struggling to find kind of continuity and just something that he felt comfortable with. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I, I we haven't talked to him since he had the Tommy John, so I'm not sure if it was one of these things where – the arm had been bothering him forever and he finally just kind of had to raise his hand and say, I'm not all there. I'm not sure if it's one of those things or not, but it's certainly puzzling. And and I I really don't know what to make of him. Um, He's going to, he's had three straight lost seasons. Um, Obviously look, the potential is there. He, I don't think he would still be on the 40 man roster, a 40 man roster that has had significant roster crunch um, in the last few years. I don't think he would still be on it if the Ashers didn't think he could provide some sort of value. And obviously, you know, we've seen him, and Kyle, you've seen him. When he's when he's on, he's elite. I mean, he can be five pitches, a five-pitch mix, plus-plus stuff. I mean, this is – he's got the ability to be so good, and we just haven't seen it develop, and that's kind of, you know, the, the, the trouble sometimes with pitching prospects, especially, you know, high school pitching prospects, guys like that. So – um, so the short answer is I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect from him. Um, he's, he had his Tommy John surgery in March of 2021, so I'd imagine that would put him on track to be off of a mound in a competitive setting in maybe May or June. Um, at that point, you know, I think you have to see some performance. I mean, they've got to get him some innings, first of all. I mean, he's barely thrown in the last, you know, three years. You talked about the 2019 season that went so poorly. It went so poorly that they had to just shut him down and send him to Florida just to kind of reset for six weeks. And, you know, that that impacted his innings. Obviously, no one threw in 2020. And then 2020, he had Tommy done. So he's really barely pitched in the last three years. I think the most important thing is to get him innings. And I think he'll be able to do that in the middle of this season. And, then, you know, I think right now as it stands, anything they get from him in the immediate future is probably Lanyap. You know, we've, we've talked about they've got Hunter Brown. They've got Alex Santos, who's pretty far away, but still a guy that they like. Um, and they've got, you know, guys 
if you're talking bullpen guys that can help immediately, they've got Sean Dubin, who, who's really, you know, throws hard and can come out of the bullpen and kind of be one of those next guys up. You know, you talk about Brandon Belak, Peter Solomon. Those are kind of more of the depth starters you'd be looking at right now. They just need to see that Whitley's healthy, that he can handle some innings, and that the stuff is still there. I, I would – I would be surprised if you see him in the major leagues in 2022, but who knows? I mean, like we said, we've seen him when he's on. He's really, really good. And, you know, you hope for him, a guy that's been through a lot, um, you hope that he can find some consistency and you hope that, you know, look, you hope it works out for him and you hope that he is pretty good and that he forces their hand in 2022. I just can't see it as a break. Yeah, he's 24 years old, so not super old. Still a guy who has some time left, but you're right, having not pitched really since 2019, it's been a long run for him. And like you said, I think not putting a major league timeline on him and just letting him get back on the mound, seeing where he is physically after surgery and so much time away, uh, that's going to be the biggest thing. Chandler, this Astro system, as we've talked about, has gotten a lot of contributions from guys who were maybe not super highly ranked as prospects and ended up playing a role in the big leagues. We talked about those four pitchers, a couple of guys recently in the outfield. Who were some guys in the system maybe in the back half, that 15 to 30 range, that have some potential to surprise people and ultimately play a role for the Astros in the coming years? Um, I'd look at Yanier Diaz, uh, a guy that they got in the trade for Miles Straw from Cleveland at the deadline. They love his hit tool. Absolutely love it. He's hit everywhere he's been. He got into the Astros system and just really took off the hit tool. It's probably one of the best pure hit tools in the organization. Um, he is a catcher, uh, which the Astros kind of quietly really have amassed some pretty good catching depth. When you look at Corey Lee, you look at, you know, Mike Papierski will probably be that third catcher that they put on the 40-man with Garrett Stubbs gone. You look at Scott Maneo, you look at C.J. Stubbs, Garrett Stubbs' brother. Um, they, they've got a, a pretty healthy little catching um, depth. So you wonder if he could maybe translate to a first base, you know, maybe play the corners, see if they can get him some work there. So I'd look at him, you know, Chase McDermott. I don't know if he's a guy that's right now ready to go, but um, he his first foray into pro ball after being drafted in 2021 – a lot of scouts like what they saw from him. He, I, I was told by one scout that he's probably, behind Hunter Brown, probably the best, second best pitching prospect, the second best starting pitching prospect in the Astros system. They really enjoyed him. And then, you know, Christian Gonzalez, not in the back half. Um, he's uh, actually, he is in the back half of the list now that I look at it. Um, certainly a guy that um, got the $300,000 signing bonus in the signing period and was certainly a guy that they liked a lot. Um, he's still filling out a little bit, not, not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. He's got to be able to control the strike zone a little bit better. You know, scouts didn't like some of the strike zone discipline, but um, the, the arm at shortstop is plus. He certainly is a guy that maybe could move around the infield a little bit, certainly pretty athletic. Um, but he's a guy that when, you were, when I was calling around and talking to people, in the organization and outside the organization. He was a name that kept coming up as well. Absolutely. All right, Chandler, before we wrap up here, any final thoughts on this this organization as a whole, the major league team, the farm system, just where it is? And I guess really the question is, how long can they keep it going given the guys they have in the majors and given what this farm system looks like? 
Well, I think like we mentioned earlier, they've got to get the farm system to where there are some more superstar prospects. And I don't know if that comes from they're going to have a first round pick again in 2022. Um, they're going to have to draft they you know a first and second round pick, so maybe that will help. But I think they're going to have to count on one of Corey Lee or Jeremy Pena, one of those guys maybe take the next step to maybe get into that elite prospect uh, echelon to maybe kind of buoy the system a little bit. You know, I do think something that would help too. Um, they've got this outfield log jam of just tooled out raw guys like Colin Barber, Zach Daniels, uh, Jordan Brewer, Alex McKenna, Matthew Barefoot. Like they this outfield, and you're kind of waiting for one of those guys to pop. I think it could be Colin Barber. I think Colin Barber is maybe – I know you – I should have probably mentioned him in your last question, but he's probably turned more heads at this minor league minicamp the Astros have had going recently than anybody. He puts on a display in batting practice, got some absolute insane raw power. Um, this was a guy that missed all of the 2021 minor league season with a shoulder injury, had surgery. Um, you got to remember, this is, this is a high-pedigree guy. He went in the fourth round. The Astros gave him a million dollars, got him over slot to get him away from a commitment to go to the University of Oregon. Um, this is a guy that I think if he takes the next step, there are people in the Astros organization that believe he could be that next guy. He could be the next dude, the one that is cracking, like knocking on the top 100 door in the near future, could certainly vault his way into the top 10 prospects next year with good performance. Um, I think he's one to look out for as well. And, you know, maybe they get one of Zach Daniels or Jordan Brewer, one of these guys that a ton of tools, a ton of, you know, they were drafted because they were so athletic in college, but never really put it together. And then you kind of hope that one of them comes through and they can really have some elite talent there. And, um, you know, we've talked about the pitching. They've, they've succeeded. They've excelled in these kind of under – underutilized, under uh, scouted, underseen Latin pitchers. And a lot of people ask me, who's next? Like, who's the next Arquiti? Who's the next Javier? Who's the next Fromber? I wish I knew because we didn't know about any of those guys before they really popped. So it's tough to tell. But, you know, look, there are some places in this system that could be really, really good. And whether it's been because of injury, whether it's just been because of ineffectiveness that – it's just not shown up on the on the rankings on the outside publications list. But there are places here where if they hit, they could automatically, you know, um, escalate this this system's ranking. But as it is right now, it's a bottom five system. It's not one with a ton of elite talent. But again, there are places in there where I think they could find some. Yeah, I really like that Colin Barber pick. We got really good reviews on him at Instructional League in 2020, and he only played 16 games at Asheville this year before having season-ending shoulder surgery. If he stays healthy last year, maybe that's when the breakout happens. So it's good to hear he was performing well at minicamp, and he's certainly a riser. Uh, I I've tapped for 2022, and I'm glad you have as well. Chandler, thank you so, so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight, and uh, we're glad to have you on the uh, BA Prospect Handbook team. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Chandler Rome, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.